Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Second Take Cinema. Coming at you from the glorious Impala Films headquarters in sunny South End on Sea, I am, as always, your host, Jamie Evans, and I am joined, as always, by Rory Jocelyn. Hello, everybody. Today, we are going on to the other side of the world, baby, all the way to East Asia. We're heading to South Korea, and we're traveling back in time to the year 1999, as we take a second take on Nowhere to Hide. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about the 1999 Korean movie Nowhere to Hide, directed by Lee Myung-sae, uh, apologies if I'm pronouncing any of these wrong, by the way, starring Park Joon-hoon, Park Sung-ki, Jang Dong-gun, and Choi Ji-woo. This film was released in 1999, I unfortunately don't have any budget information for it. There's not a lot of information out there for this one. No, it's a really obscure film. In fact, the only information I've got about its reception was that it was a hit at both the inaugural Asian Pacific Film Festival in Sydney and at the Sundance Film Festival, but its American release was limited, brief, and unsuccessful. That's literally what it says. Wow. <laughs> uh, so this was your pick, Rory. I'd never heard of this film before. Awards? Are you going to mention the awards? That was I've literally just read to you everything that was listed on Wikipedia. Okay, so in the reception section. Oh, okay, so awards is another section. Oh, Wikipedia. okay. Usually they smush them together. No, in this case they haven't. So at the Duville Asian Film Festival 2000, or Festival du Film Asiatique de Duville. 2000. 2000. Uh, it, it's it won the jury prize. It won best photography. It won Best Actor, and it won Best Director. Best Actor for who? Uh, the main guy? For Park Joon-hoon. Yeah, the main guy. Yeah. Uh, Jang Dong-gun won the Best Supporting Actor at the Blue Dragon Film Awards for his role as Detective Kim, okay. who's the one who um, kills a man and has sad time. Uh, so, yeah, what's weird about this is so it was incredibly successful in Asia, uh, but was unsuccessful in, during its limited American release, which is probably why it's sort of fallen into into obscurity. Um, Asians don't really care too much about high-definition transfers of stuff. They don't really give a damn, whereas America has a lot of collectors that do, which what's annoying is I tried to find a higher-quality transfer of this film than the DVD I own, and it just does not exist. Right. Because there's not enough of an American audience to request it, it doesn't get the transfer it deserves. Right. Uh, so, which is why you find like obscure 
terrible films get like high definition and 4k transfers because they released in america and they were had at least enough cult base to get the transfer but in asia they they care so little about the quality that's really surprising because you always think of uh you always think of like japan and korea and stuff of being really tech heavy uh, countries they are but you've got to remember that everything is small so they tend to have small tvs so they don't. Are they not part of the big widescreen craze? They've got widescreen, but they don't like their TVs. Aren't like sixty-five inch plasmas or sixty-five inch OLEDs nowadays? No, they don't really have that sort of scale because their houses are so small. So they will like if if you're only watching on a small screen, what's it matter anyway? I suppose is the idea. Yeah, um, I, I can appreciate that. But anyway, my background so with this film. Yeah, when did you first see this movie? I can't remember the year, um, but it. What well, you saw you then. <laughs> I'll go home. Uh, it was probably about 2004, 2005 sort of time. It had a very limited run English DVD release, uh, which is the one that I bought and still have. Now, I got this film because I'd heard of it from being a bit of a fan of The Matrix and people talking about the fact that in certainly in The Matrix Reloaded, the third Matrix film... Uh, Revolution, sorry. They'd stolen a load of camera shots from this film. Mm -hmm. And then, so I was like, well, I want to see the film that inspired the Wachowskis' camera work. Because the Wachowskis are certainly known for style, if not anything else. They're well known for their stylish filmmaking. Agreed. And this film definitely fits that bracket of being a stylish film. In a different way to The Matrix. It doesn't look like The Matrix. But... Yeah, you could tell there was definitely several camera shots stolen from this film by the Wachowskis, uh, such as the bit at the end of Matrix Revolutions where uh, Agent Smith clasps his hand into a fist in the rain. Oh, yeah. Completely stolen from this film. Uh, Now, this film came out about the same time as the first Matrix. I I would imagine that that's been done loads of times. it's, It's well known that there's quite a few shots from... Make oh no! I know. I know from this film. I I know they because I know the uh, the uh, lobby f- the lobby shootout scene in the first Matrix yeah. is apparently carbon copied from some from another Asian film. Yeah, I don't remember which one. The Wachowskis were um, obviously big on Asian cinema and stuff. Yeah, well, like they were that. massively into anime, weren't they? Yeah, that's um, true. But well, in terms in of a shell sh- and things like that, but in terms of a shot of someone clasping a fist in the rain, that's got to have been done before. Not in the same way as it was done in this, and then right. copied in like it's the it, the movement of the camera and the way it focuses in on the hand. Yeah, it it is quite specific. It's just that in this it looks a bit more blue, and in the Matrix Revolutions it looks a bit more green. Right. <laughs> um. Anyway, I watched this film. I loved it because I'm a big fan of style, and when I was. How old would I have been then? I wouldn't have even been 16 yet. So I probably would have been about 15. So the depth of a story, you know, did interest me, but I wasn't quite as refined a gentleman, let's say, uh, at 15 as I am now. So I instead, like, just I just got obsessed with the stylishness of this film. Mm-hmm. The music dragged me in. A couple of tracks in particular uh, really dragged me in, which is the ones with, the, like, the guitars. Not the Bee Gees. No, the Bee Gees didn't didn't do it for me. Um, I mean, it's good. It works in its place, but it is it's kind of it feels out of sorts with the rest of the soundtrack. We'll get to that later. Definitely, um, because most of this soundtrack has quite a gritty guitarish sort of tone to it, and mm. the Bee Gees song "Holiday" isn't that. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. It's almost more of an acapella, and 
but yeah, so I love the style of it. I love the fact that it was so different. Uh, it's almost like a series of vignettes of like, what can we do for this scene that will make it look interesting? And then what can we do for this scene to make it look interesting? And there's a, a long unbroken shot of a guy chasing a man through the docks that I always remembered. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Mm. And I just always felt that that was a, like a, a something that I would want to not necessarily recreate, but homage to that idea of watching a guy actually get knackered to hell sprinting. Like you've seen it in all the films. You see Tom Cruise. We know no Tom Cruise will sprint everywhere. In fact, it's probably in his contract must sprint in every film. Oh yeah. He's man disabled in wheelchair, but he'll find a reason to sprint by the end of the film. You know, it's that sort of days of thunder is actually exactly that. He ends up in a wheelchair. And then, Does he? Yeah. And then <laughs> he ends up sprinting at some point later in the film. Um, but yeah, so basically the, but in this case, it was literally one take unbroken. You see the guy get more knackered as the sprint goes on. I'd never seen that done in a film before. That may have been because of my limited knowledge of film at the time, but it was certainly different for the 90s. Usually everything is chopped up by multiple takes. So yeah, I found it really interesting, but I haven't watched it in about 15 years. Yeah. Because I went over to Blu-ray, this didn't come out, I've never found it again, and it ended up in a box, <laughs> not being watched. So I pulled it out for this, and actually I'm glad I did. Um, I wanted to see if it held up, what my thoughts were on the story, what I'd think about the style now, and also to see what you think, Jamie. Mm. Um, so I'll let you kick off on, you know, if you have any history, and if you don't, what your thoughts were. Uh, no, I've got no history with this film. I'd never even heard of it. Um, I have seen some Asian cinema, uh, mostly in the horror genre, um, although a little outside of the horror genre as well. Uh, for example... Um, 20th Century Boys, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic trilogy of Japanese movies um, that are, I don't know what genre you'd call them. They're a little bit sci-fi, a little bit action, a little bit adventure. Um, I guess even a little bit horror. Some of it is quite disturbing. Um, in terms of Korean, specifically Korean cinema, my only familiarity with Korean cinema is Train to Busan. Okay. If you've heard of Train to no, Busan, uh, it's very good. It's getting an American remake called Train to New York, I think, uh, which I'm sure will be terrible. Um, it's a it's a zombie movie, um, and it's really interesting because it was made in 2016. By which point, it was like, okay, we've done everything we can possibly do with zombies now. What what can we do that we haven't done already? And Korea went, how about zombies on a train? And it's surprisingly effective okay. because there's no space. So you actually end up with a scene, which is going to sound humorous when I describe it, but it's actually really tense, where there's like five survivors crammed into a train toilet, you know, like a little yeah. toilet, and they daren't leave yeah, because there's zombies everywhere. Um, and it's very claustrophobic. Yeah. Um. I actually, I'm I'm due for a rewatch of Train to Busan because I can't That's remember good. how it ends. Um. But yeah, I mean, this is more in a tradition of it's not a martial arts film, but it's closer to a martial arts film than say Train to Busan. It's an action. Um. Sure. And that's not my genre. I'm not into action movies mm. really at all. Um. And interestingly enough, we'll 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 talk later about how. This has got elements in it that echo, I felt, Sam Raimi, who's one of my favourite directors, 
but I enjoy it when Sam Raimi does it because it's more fantastical. And I didn't enjoy it in this because it's real people, quote unquote. Sure. Um, and that took some of the enjoyment out of it for me. Um, but let, let's start by talking about the opening because the opening uh, feels very separate from the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, the opening is in black and white, but it's not just black and white. It's like a really, really gritty, low-quality black and white. Um, On the better quality rip that I found uh, after we'd already watched it, that opening scene looks basically the same. Like, yeah. the rest of it looks visibly better. Yeah. That opening scene just looks the same. I honestly, watching the opening scene, I honestly thought, because as I said, I don't know what budget this was made for, and even if I knew what budget it was made for, I don't know what that translates to in American dollars. But looking at that scene, I was watching it and going, oh, shit, this must have, like, Blair Witch Project level budget. It is really... Which is, like, £15,000. Yeah. But I think they do that on purpose to make it look more gritty, yeah, they must have had some money because they afforded a Bee Gees song, unless they spent all the money on the Bee Gees. So, um, what's interesting about the intro, uh, actually starting off in black and white, so basically the, the black and white intro introduces us to the two main cops, yeah. which is um, Wu, Detective Wu, who is the main character, really. He goes around beating people up. He has a, a hat on, doesn't he? I don't know what the name of those types of hats oh, is. Oh, bucket hat. You always see fishermen wearing Yeah, bucket them. hat. Yeah. Uh, and he's, you've got uh, Detective Kim, who is a younger man, much more good-looking sort of guy. Uh, He's got a family at home. Yeah, but he uh, he's kind of a much more quieter man. He's not anywhere near as violent, um, unless the situation actually really calls for it. But Detective Wu will become violent at a moment's notice. Yeah, to a cartoonish extent. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was surprised, I was surprised that this wasn't based on a manga. Or an anime. Yeah. Because a lot of the film is played like it is. Yes. Um, there's a lot of real... I mean, we'll talk about the camera work later. Because the camera work definitely mimics anime a lot. But the actual acting style as well. Yeah. There's a lot of that exaggerated expression. Exaggerated movements. And j just things that you could easily picture in anime. Particularly from Detective Wu. He's the, the main one for it. Yeah. Because he will literally go from moping and being like, oh. To being like, ah, da, da, da. Yeah, his face... He's got a very expressive face. Very expressive. And I think that actor is quite big in Korea. Yeah. Um, I think he's very well known. Um, but like the glee on his face when he like pulls out a baseball bat or something yeah, like that. You know he's going to enjoy the beating. Yeah. Um, it's, yes. What's interesting with that intro is that it, I, I don't, I can't recall that being done prior to this film. But that idea was done again in a much, much, much more famous film, Casino Royale. Uh, mm. where the intro of Bond is black, is black and white. He beats the guy up in the toilet. It's really gritty, more gritty than the rest of the film. And then after he gets his license, yes, considerably kills the guy in the head. Then it's back to colour, and now we're doing a more traditional-style Bond film. Yeah. The uh, So it's, it, I'm not, I can't say that Casino Royale took the idea from this film because I have no idea. But I do think that there's the potential that filmmakers have seen this film mm. more so than general audiences yeah. and it may have influenced a lot of other films in the way that because it is it's as you say it's an action film but it's kind of 
if you took pieces of it, you'd think they're from art house films. Yeah, and everything I read online, because I was actually trying to look for a plot summary, because I thought I'd maybe missed something, mm. because um, the film is very thin on plot. Yes. And I was like, I must have missed something, or like not understood or something. And I can't, couldn't find any plot summaries for it. All I could find was this phrase people kept using, which was that it's less of a film and more a celebration of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, because it does feel like someone experimenting a lot and not necessarily caring about the actual film they're making. So, like, they care about the pieces, but not the whole. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, the storyline is... Let's, let's, let's talk about story then, because we're realistically, we're just going to keep hitting that until we tell it. Mm. And it's very it's not going to take us very long. No, a murder happens and cops try to solve it. Yeah. So a guy so there's a guy um outside of a building with an umbrella gets sliced down in the middle of the rain by an assassin in a the, very anime sequence. Yeah. Really it's almost um still images that fade over each other. Yeah. And, and then when he actually slashes him, you get like that flash. Yeah. And then there's like a moment and then the blood starts to trickle down his hand. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I've seen stuff like this before. This is literally right out of anime. Yeah. Um, and the only witness to it gets beaten to death in the street by a bunch of, like, I guess, thugs who are working with the assassin. They're important because they are obviously the people that the police chase to get to the assassin. Yeah. And all of the vignettes we get are about them, you know, how we capture this guy. Uh, I think Fishhead is the first guy. Fishhead's the first and one, And then yeah. they go to the boxer Meathead. guy, Meathead, and then they build their way up until they get to... Shinmin. Uh, Chung Shinmin. Yeah. Now, basically, that's it. They, they beat people up to get to the assassin, and then it finishes off in a fist fight it's almost a street fighter like structure isn't yeah, it yeah where you're just beating opponents to work your way up to the the villain yeah you could imagine it as a one-on-one fighting game from the era actually like the storyline progression yeah. and then like in the end there's a fist fight and uh yeah basically that, that's it it's I'd, I'd give you more plot about romances or, or family relations or blah, blah, blah. But they're really thin and basically not really that important. I don't think we learn anything at all about Detective Wu. We see his sister. He goes to his sister's house and right. she says, shouldn't you? and he, her husband, who clearly doesn't like him, says, aren't you old enough? Should, aren't you too old for this? Shouldn't you be married by now? Um, and she gives him some gloves she goes, I bought these for you last year. I don't know if they'll still fit. I don't know why his hands would have changed size in a year, <laughs> but whatever. Um, I don't know if they'll still fit. Please take them. He's like, no, give them to your husband. You know, I don't, you know, he obviously doesn't think much of himself. She forces him to take the gloves. Uh, and then he does another anime style moment where he look, walks away, turns around, looks at her kind of like, almost like he longs to that he could be part of a, a normal life like yeah. that. Almost a sadness. He then turns away and then he turns back with that cartoonish grin, like, and then waves a bye, and then walks, runs off, like, kind of happy and ecstatic that he's got a gift. Yeah. And it's that's something, again, you'd imagine in an anime, a character will turn around, look sad, turn away, come back, yay, see yeah, you later, he, sis. He feels, I don't know if this was intentional on the part of the actor, he always he feels very unhinged for the whole film. I think that's on purpose. Like he's on the edge of a breakdown. What I could find, I haven't seen any of the rest of the director's work, this is the only action movie he ever made by what I could find. Right. The other movies that he made were romances and dramas. So this was very much out of left field for this director. 
and you can i think that kind of shows in the fact that it is so experimental with what it does visually um the storyline isn't experimental but certainly what they do with each sequence is and that in itself i I mean the, the thing is the gloves lead to the next part where detective kim has killed someone he feels like He's, he feels all alone. He doesn't understand, like, you know, am I a bad person? Yeah. Now I've had to kill someone in the line of duty. And because he's wearing the gloves, Detective Rui is able to keep just throwing snowballs at him um, to piss him off. And, like, he pisses him off to the extent that it makes him cheer up again. Yeah. Uh, which is a nice moment. Um, so but... let's let's break it down and go vignette by vignette. Yeah. So the first, first real section, then, is them going after Fishhead. So let's talk about that. Um... It starts with them turning up at this nightclub uh, and what I thought was a fairly effective way of hiding the fact that you can't afford to film in a nightclub. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just still images almost. Yeah, a black background. Super whited out. Really contrasty. And flashing white in between them. So you almost get a strobe effect. Yeah. Um, but they're clearly not in a club. You, can, you could do this in like a small Black set. box studio. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it gets the message across perfectly well. Um, and actually was arguably preferable to them going into a club and having loud music and, yeah, you know, cause it's, it's not necessary. The club itself isn't necessary. Cause all they're doing is seeing Fishhead enjoy himself in the club. Yeah. And you get that in like a brief six or seven still photos. Yeah. In a way you would have done, but it would have taken them at least a good minute and a half to walk around a club at least go, yeah. oh yeah, he's enjoying himself. He'll be out in a minute. You know, you didn't need that. It was a nice way to save time and pace. Yeah. The bit that's necessary is when Fishhead comes out. Yeah. And Wu's got a history with Fishhead and he's like, oh, come here. Fishhead takes off running. And this is the section you were talking about where it's one long tracking shot yeah. following them as they run in real time. Yes. And I noticed fish heads like constantly looking back. I was like, dude, you'd probably get much further ahead if you just focused on where you were running, you know? But (laughs) when you talk about their cartoonish natures, this is a a good example of like each, each character in this film has a very different and unique running animation, as I'll call it. Yeah. To each other, which is something you'd normally say about anime, you know, or they've animated each one to, you know, Fishhead's fucking pumping his arms like he's the T-1000 oh. in fucking Terminator <laughs> well, 2, no, it's, it's more of a comedy thing, because I've seen it if... Um... It's kind of how Mario runs. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's cartoonish. It's comic. He's a comedy character. Yeah. And that's expressed by the way he runs. His arms go all the way up above his head like as he runs, because he's ridiculous. And then you've got Kim, who's more like uh, a dog chasing him almost. His arms are always... Whoa, whoa, you mean? Whoa, sorry, yeah. Um, his his arms are always almost always in front of him. He's almost punching, almost like he's shoulder barging his way through a crowd, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and it's so they're very much, even though they're dressed differently as well, you can easily discern who someone is by the way they move, which is an interesting and fascinating way of of looking at the performance. Uh, the other side as well, though, is <laughs> I love the bit in this scene. Uh, Wu ch- uh, catches up to Fishhead at one point, about halfway through the sequence. Mm. Fishhead turns around, sees him, and then just somehow manages to pull away by running faster. Always yeah. makes me laugh. Very cartoonish. It is very cartoonish, but it, yeah. it works. 
and they finally catch him, beats him up a little bit. Oh, beats and, him up severely in the police station. And he's like, no, 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 that's oh, Meathead. Right. Fishhead is like... Oh, um, yeah, you're right. Sorry, yeah. Fishhead's like, no, 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 I don't do that. I just sell drugs. Yeah. I don't kill people. <laughs> I just sell drugs. Um, and he ends up giving them Meathead's name. Yeah. Which is our next vignette, is Meathead. And yeah. this was this was my favourite bit of the film. Yeah. Because this is, this is the bit where the Sam Raimi comparisons come in. Sure. Um, so Meathead's like a boxing type youth in a hoodie. And this fight is as anime as the film gets. To the point where, A, they do the thing where when they're both throwing their punches, it does that thing where you get like a background effect yeah, that's like, like zipping lights. Yeah, yeah. So it makes it look like they're punching dead fast. When he hits Wu, Wu flies back, clearly on a wire, yeah. but flies back like 20 feet across the roof. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, is this a superhuman? It's not. No, no it's, just, it's just that punch that. was um, somehow that powerful. And they then end up, and this was my favourite bit of the whole film, because I'm cheesy, mm. they end up behind a big white screen, mm. and we're watching their silhouettes fight each other. Yeah. And th this was giving me such Sam Raimi vibes, because it really reminded me of Army of Darkness, when Bruce Campbell is fighting the mini Bruce Campbells right. that are on a projection screen. That, that, that's the way oh, they've yeah, done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a similar sort of thing. Obviously, in Army of Darkness, you're not meant to know that's how they've done it. Whereas in this, it's part of the scene. Yeah. But um, it, it had that Three Stooges comedy vibe yeah. where they're literally like, they are doing a routine more than they're actually fighting. Yeah, because when they both fall down, they both got kick their legs up in sync, did you notice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the music's almost like... Well, there's a bit as well when, like, after they've done a bit of punching of each other, I think it's just before the the um, the moment you mentioned, uh, they're, like, grappling. And, like, yeah. and suddenly the music goes from being an action music to being, like, a dart, like a, an Italian classical dance. Yes. Yeah. And then... <laughs> It's clear that they were having a lot of fun making this. Yes. Now, we then get more violent, as you say, when they've arrested him. Mm. They get more... And this was the first big surprise of the film for me. Because at this point, I was going, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. He's a violent, loose cannon detective, a sort of a dirty Harry figure yeah. who's taking the law into his own hands. What surprised me is once he gets uh, Meathead to the police station there's no interrogation room he just interrogates him in the middle of the main room yep. and it turns out all the cops are violent sociopaths yeah so and there's that bit where they're all pulling the shutters down yeah. and then they all pull like baseball bats or rulers or, or various weapons get, yeah um and attack him and this is where i want to talk about why the comedy both works and doesn't they literally do a beat down on meathead to the point where when we next see Meathead, he's literally got um, footprints drawn on his face. On his face yeah, where they've been kicking. As if they've stomped his face so hard. And on the one hand, it works really well because it's this cartoon violence, which is quite funny. Comparing it to Army of Darkness, because that's what it reminded me of, it's funnier in that because Ash is doing stuff like that to Deadites, which aren't real. Yeah. This felt a little bit, and I'm probably reading too much into it, but this felt a little weird because, and obviously I'm aware the film's over 20 years old now and from a different culture. Watching it as a Westerner in 2023, where police brutality is such a huge issue yeah. that's all over the news all the time, it's really 
it dampens the fun a bit. Yeah. Because on the one hand, you're like, oh, cartoon violence. On the other hand, you're like, because it's not just that they're violent. They're also bad police officers. Oh, yeah. Like, when, he, when he's reading him his Miranda rights, he literally forgets them and just says, says tell the lawyer I said them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's got another line where he says police can do whatever they want and have license to do whatever is necessary to catch yeah. criminals. And no, no one stops him at any point from doing any of the violence he does, and they join in, as you say. Mm. Um, there's a bit where, because Meathead won't give up the assassin, he, like, I think he ties his hand, binds his arms and legs to like a rod. Oh, and then, he's banging his head on the floor. Yeah, so, and so he's swinging underneath, and he's just basically tipping him with, by his feet, mm. so his head smacks against the floor constantly. Yeah. And you're like... Again, the scenario is funny in terms of it being like such obscene, silly violence. Yeah. But when it's the idea of a cop beating down, he's not even a suspect at this yeah. point, really. He's, he's being questioned. You're like, oh. And this comes in a bit later as well because uh, there is a point where uh, so they, they find a girl who is in a relationship with the assassin. Mm. And is this when she says, is it normal for police to just burst into women's homes? And uh, that's the second time he breaks in. Right. But yeah, that, she does say that too eventually. Um, they, I think he says yes, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's like we, yeah of course. Uh, but they break into her house and she's she's not a criminal in her, of herself. She's not uh, a combatant. It's not a situation where it's like, of course, you can slap this woman about because she's a violent attacker. In a, She's not that. She's just a an informant who knows the assassin and has yeah. some communication with them. There is one a, a scene where he basically jump kicks her in the face. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, we misread the scene. He literally jump kicks her in the face. And you're like, oh, you you can do that as a cop? Like I I, I and here's the thing, it's not pro-violence against women either, because when he takes out Fishhead, he, the reason he gets so pissed off with Fishhead before he chases him is because Fishhead is beating this woman up. He's yeah. going, I paid for you already, didn't I? If I can get in the car, I'm yeah. going to do what I want. And he eventually, he's sitting there going, no, I've got to keep quiet, and eventually he just can't because it's like, fuck this guy. So he gets out the car and confronts Fishhead before he was supposed to, Yeah, which is why Fishhead has the opportunity to escape. With, But then in this scene... He just drop kicks this woman in the face. <laughs> now she's pissed him off, but that doesn't make it acceptable. She's not a combatant. She's not a criminal. She's, you know, an informant that you're trying to press for answers. Again, doesn't read well. Yeah. You know, bear in mind that we're still meant to, even though he's a flawed character, we're still meant to feel compassionate and sort of sympathize with Detective Wu. Drop kicking innocent women in the face. Not a good place to start. No, and uh, you know, partially I guess it's because I, partially I guess it's just because I didn't expect this. Like I, all I, I knew nothing about this film except it was Korean and it was an action movie. Yeah. About detectives, so this wasn't the sort of film I was expecting. I'll give it that. Um, and maybe I need to go back and see it again with, with that in mind. Yeah. Um, because it made it very hard to get into that clash of tone. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but I've um, never seen a film like it. No, no, it's, it's quite different. Um, like yeah. there, there's th certain films that, like Dirty Harry, as you said, where you're like, okay, well you've got the cop who goes 
a bit too hard, but in 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 the attempt to do the right thing, yeah, etc. etc. But like, I mean, this is an assassin that they're chasing. He has murdered someone, but they never try and chase up who who we murdered him for. Yeah, we never find a motive. Do no, we? it's just like, oh, he's murdered a guy. We've got to kill him. But like, the guy's clearly just it, it wasn't personal. Yeah. So. If he's killed a man and it's not personal, yeah, they catch the assassin at the end. But who ordered the hit? <laughs> no one ever questions that because that's not what the story. That's not the no. story that the the film is interested yeah. in. It's just we caught the bad guy. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty good set piece on a train. Yes, where they come close to catching the villain. Um, and he's kind of moving from seat to seat, and they're undercover, like, pushing the food carts and stuff, aren't they? Yeah. And you end up with Detective Kim confronting him, um, and you get a very nice shot, actually. Uh, you know the bit in the middle of a train where the two cars connect? Yes. Um, and you've got the assassin in one framed in one door and Kim framed in the other, yes. and they have, like, a standoff, and basically the assassin ends up shanking Kim. Yeah. He wins uh, that fight, doesn't he? So Kim ends up in the hospital. Which um, is then the motivation for Wu to really have the beatdown against the assassin in the final scenes. Yeah, and it kind of feels like the only reason they gave Kim a family is so that it would be even sadder, because you never see the family. No, they're never uh, on you, screen. He, you, we see you just talk, talk to them on the phone. Him. Yeah, uh, And it feels like it's they've done that just so that Wu can be like, he had a family, damn it. <laughs> he was a family man. Family guy. <laughs> yeah. But, um, okay, so what about the final fight scene in the rain? Um, so, yeah, so I actually, I was going to say, this is the bit that's gone foggy for me, is what happens between the train fight and then this final fight. Yeah, I that find whole, that foggy as well. I, don't yeah, I can't remember a, any of it. <laughs> what happens at that point is he goes back to the um, to the woman who is connected to the assassin. Yeah. That's when he drop kicks her in the face. Yeah. Um, and that's also when she says, is it okay? Is it Because he goes to her house, knocks on the door, there's no one there. So he breaks the window. Right. He can open the door, let himself in. And then while he's buggering about trying to find information, she comes home with her friend. Right. Um, they then, he she then receives a letter, which is the way she normally gets information from the assassin, with a number to call, and basically dials into an answer phone. And then listen to the answer phone message, and that will be the message he's left for her. What ends up happening is Wu dials the number and gets the call, and he goes, "You have one new message." She takes the phone from him, listens to the call, and then presses the button to erase it before Detective Wu gets to hear what it is. So Wu drop kicks her in the face because she's deleted the message. Yeah, this causes the friend to freak out as well as the woman because before that point she was kind of like, "What are you doing in my house? Oh, you policemen think you can do whatever." After being drop kicked in the face, she's a little bit more pliable, um, which is not a good thing necessarily, but it is what the film shows us. Yeah. Um, and so the best friend is just like, "Oh, just do what he wants," you know, make the call that you've been told to make at the location you've been told to make it. He again gets the call that she's to bring a certain amount of money to a train yard to hand off to the assassin so the assassin can leave. Wu goes instead, follows him. Uh, the assassin goes on a bicycle and is being followed right up the arse, by the way, yeah. by Detective Wu in his jeep. Like there's not, he's giving him no distance. If there's no subtlety in this hunt, no, uh, at this point. And they end up having this fight in the train yard. 
in the rain. In yeah. the rain, which is... Um, it getting dumped in loads of really dirty puddles, don't Oh, it? mate, it's really muddy, really oily as well. Um, right? What's interesting as well is the villain absolutely kicks the living shit out of him. He wins, yeah. Like, the villain wins. Um, all Wu succeeds in doing delaying. is delaying him long enough for the rest of the cops to get there. Yeah, which is a, a, a good strategy, because he knows he can take it. Um, but It felt odd. After how much violence it had shown, yeah. it felt odd that they just arrest him. It, it felt more like they should all... Because it's a wall of cops, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You it's, thought they would have shot the shit out yeah, of him. Yeah, but... I thought we were going to get him, like, blood in the rain sort of thing. Like, doosh, doosh. Always like Platoon yeah. when Willem <laughs> Dafoe gets... I honestly did. I thought we were going to get that in the rain yeah. with this guy just going down. But no, um, they arrest him and happy ending. Yeah, and well, it's... I guess it's kind of not in a way, isn't it? Because he goes to see Detective Kim in the hospital and says, oh, we're not getting any credit for having caught him. Yeah, it all goes to the uh, top brass. And uh, he, t- he says, actually, yeah. that they, they glamorise the villains more than they glamorise the people that caught them. Which, Which is true. Yeah. My argument, and the thing is, I've seen things make that argument before. I feel like this doesn't have the right to make that argument because your good guy is a villain as well. Yeah, because he's... <laughs> Committing police brutality. Yeah, just because he's just because he's got a badge. Yeah, doesn't excuse what he's doing. So that's interesting as well because they they actually reference that point in the film. Um, at one point in the film, uh, someone asks Detective Wu why he's a cop. Mm. I think it's the the girlfriend of the the assassin, and yeah. she asks, "Yes, it is." Yeah, yeah. And she goes, "So why did you become a cop?" And he says, "Well." Tried everything else first. Yeah, I, was like, I tried to. I tried to do any other job, like be a fishmonger and this. I was too violent for it. And my dad told eventually told me, "You're such a thug that the only option you've really got left is you're going to become a gangster or a thug or a cop." It, yeah, so you're better off becoming a cop because at least that way you've got a badge to do which, it. Which says two things to me. One, his dad's a schmuck. Because you'd, if you could do one of those two things, why pick the one that's not going to make you any money? And two, <laughs> it says a lot about the attitude to cops in Korea that they and th- they and gangster are on the same level. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it may be something that's specific about Asia uh, that gangsters and uh, police officers are not... We're not too dissimilar, you and I. Uh, <laughs> because in Japan, you've got the police and the Yakuza. Yeah. In, uh, you've got the triads and, the obviously, the police in China. I can't remember what the uh, the Jing Weun, I think they're called. Uh, they're, I don't know. Or they're, there's base, or, or the, no, they might just be the triads. I think it's triads the tri- are China. Triads are China. Triads are definitely China. Yeah, so the, the, there is, essentially, there, there is a, a Korean mafia. Right. Um, and it seems to be something that's very specific in Asia, where your mafia are essentially uh, your your flip coin to your police service. Whereas in the West, well, they very. In, I know they were in the West, but we back in New York, like the Italian yeah. mafia, that for a time they were, weren't they? Because yeah. they were a lot of the police were on the take from them. Well, uh, they also kept people safe in a way that they did their protection rackets. Yeah, yeah. but they, they, it wasn't just protection rackets; they would keep people safe, quote unquote, yeah. because like old women were safe walking in the middle of the night in the dark alley. Because if anyone dared beat up an old lady, it wasn't the police you'd answer to necessarily. You might have to fucking answer to the mafia. Yeah. And they were a lot less nice. In the West, we tended to... Even though that was true for a time, it became considered quite bad taste. So eventually, like the mafia obviously exists to a small degree, but it's not... And you wouldn't sit there and go, 
in America, mafia and police are basically the same thing, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. You would have done in the 40s, you wouldn't do now. Yeah. Um, and I think Japan is at that point, from what I've heard, that they're doing quite a lot to try and push out the Yakuza. Um, the police are really cracking down. Uh, but yeah, in, it seems to be in Asia, they're a bit further back on doing that, whether you consider that forward thinking or backward thinking. But in Korea, with this film, it would seem to be that they're not, they are more or less two sides of the same coin because both are fucking violent. Yeah. Like, if, if this film is to be believed, the police are allowed to kick nine types of shit out of you to get an answer. Yeah. Whereas in the West, we don't allow for that, not just because... Well, there's that bit... Where it's been proven that you people will say anything under duress. Torture, yeah. Because there's that bit where, when, not to work backwards, but that bit we were on about where he's got meat head hanging upside down and he keeps slamming his head into the thing. Yeah. Um, he's deliberately confusing him because he keeps deliberately rewording his question. Yeah. He keeps going, so you weren't... So you were the only one there. No, you weren't there. Yes. So you were there. Yeah. And he keeps... Yeah. And... Yeah. Which... Imagine doing that in the police force in the West. You'd be... Well, you'd hopefully be removed from your job. <laughs> one hopes. <laughs> I think recent events have proven it doesn't work as well as it should. No, that's true enough. Um, yeah. I mean, Korean cinema... I've not seen a lot of Korean cinema... As far as South Korea cinema is concerned, I've only I've seen this. Obviously, I watched uh, the South Korean remake of The Ring, uh, which was basically just a beat for beat remake of the Japanese Ring, so it didn't yeah. seem to have any point. But even that was a bit gritty in terms of it. A, it seemed a bit low, but it was lower budget. But also, I think, I, if I remember correctly, the police were a bit more of a threat in that version. I'll have to watch it again to remember. But then there's also, but the most people in the West have seen something Korean by now, which yeah. is um, Squid Game. Squid Game, yeah. Squid Game is another show which shows just how brutal, uh, it, like narrative storytelling is in and South was Korea. A, was a surprise, surprise hit that came out of nowhere, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, there's been quite a few South Korean successes on Netflix. Mm. It seems to be that South Korean cinema is having a bit of an appreciation in the sun. At yeah. the moment, which is good. It's good. Um, but I find their storytelling tends to be a bit more gritty by default. It tends to be a bit nastier. Uh, it's, it's colder. People die, will get fucked. That's where you go. Like Squid Game is quite cold. This is quite cold. Yeah. Um, you know, too violent. I haven't seen Squid Game yet, but everything I know about it, it kind of reminds me of a slightly more complicated version of Saw. Uh, if you cross saw with Battle Royale, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Battle Royale is pretty gruesome, but it's there's something a bit more glossy about Japanese cinema than Korean cinema, I find. Higher budget, maybe? Slightly higher budget. So I, I just think, yeah, there, there is a difference in their cultures, obviously, even though they're both, you know... South Asian, yeah. uh, South well, Southeast like, Asian. There's but... a difference between us and France, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And you can literally see if you're stood on the south coast of Britain, you can literally like look across the channel and it's right there. Yeah, there's France. Hi, France. Uh, <laughs> it's there is that there is a difference in because when Japanese do violence, it can be gritty. I don't know. It just it feels like when the Japanese do violence, it's shown to be as a bad thing. Whereas in this, the violence is shown almost in a positive light sometimes. Yeah. And I think really that's weird. the grittiness I'm talking about that's different. 
Um, I've seen... Like, the morality is more blurred. That's the one. That's where I'm going. Yeah, I'm not sure there's much more to say about this movie. Um, I would be interested in seeing more Korean cinema uh, going forward. Uh, I can't imagine I'll ever watch this again, particularly. Because um, I didn't... There's nothing in the narrative. I didn't like to put you it back. really. Oh um, really? I found it interesting. Yeah. I didn't like it. There's a difference. Okay. Um, maybe I'd just watch the fight scene with Meathead again because that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those films because it's all style and no substance. When I rewatch it, I usually want that. That I want to see the the core parts of it again, like the core action pieces again. It's because this plot doesn't really have much layers to it. Watching the whole thing from start to finish for its plot isn't the main reason to watch it again. No. What I find interesting is it is more of an art piece, but in action, which is not the genre for art pieces. Not not traditionally, no. No, and it, it I can't. This why I can't think of another film that's exactly like it because. There are other films that have shades from it, like Dirty Harry has shades of the sort of gritty cop being a bit over-violent to do the right thing. Assassinations have happened in action movies for fucking decades. That's not new. Um, the police... Uh, even the police brutality of it is... you know We've seen that in older films. And we've seen stylish cinema as well. Let's not... You, you know, other films of... You know, Sin City has a cartoonish sort of element to the way it's designed mm. that came out after this. But nonetheless, we've seen this, like all these pieces before, but not in this arrangement. Yeah. Um, which make to me makes it a quite unique piece. I, I do like this film. Um, I think it's more recommendable for filmmakers yeah, than it is general audiences. 100%. This is not, despite the fact this is an action film, you wouldn't go up to your average diehard enjoyer yeah. and be like, hey, watch this movie. Yeah. Because they'd watch it and go, this is fucking stupid. Yeah, I mean, so when you look at, when you look, so Army of Darkness would be something that would be seen by at least horror fans, if nothing else, but as well as having a bigger audience than that. But certainly if you're a fan of horror, you would have seen Army of Darkness. Yeah. Because it's a poster child of that genre. Yeah. Whereas Which is ironic because it's not really a horror film army of darkness. No, it's more of a comedy fantasy. Yeah. That's um, the fascinating thing. It's because of its connection to Evil Dead, yeah. it is always associated as a horror. Yeah. But there's very little actual horror, other than I guess they're kind of great. But even it's more even like a now, Halloween horror, like not Halloween the movie, well, but the like thing. oh spooky scary well, skeletons. Because uh, only the first few Deadites, the fresh ones, yeah. have got like flesh. Once you get past that midway point, they are literally just puppet skeletons. Yeah, like the fucking things from Golden Axe. Yes, which I'm not going to lie, it's probably why because I, I saw Army of Darkness as a kid, well, right. a fairly young kid. Yeah. Um. That's probably why I loved it so much, because I was literally like, it's Ash from Evil Dead fighting <laughs> the skeletons from Golden Axe. That's a all cool I, all I needed was Deathbringer to turn up. Nice. So, yeah, so Army of Darkness, if you are a fan of horror, I could at least recommend Army of Darkness, for example, because it's part of that canon, most people know it. With this film, if you're an action fan, it's not martial arty enough to fit into a martial arts camp. So if you watch every flipping Jet Li, Bruce Lee... Uh, Jackie Chan, etc., etc., martial arts film, 
If I went, oh, watch Nowhere to Hide, he was sitting there, there's not really all that much martial arts in it. There's just, they're fight scenes, but it's not really martial arts. If I was to go, oh, action fans, I know you like Die Hard, I know you like this. They're watching, oh, it's not, there's no big explosive buildings, there's no, you know, there's no. The violence doesn't feel real. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, we talked about how Meathead is literally gets his face stomped. But he's actually fine. Yeah. Like, other than just the Some boot paint marks on his face, on his face <laughs> yeah. he's fine. Like, in actual fact, if you took a beating that bad... Your face would be, be a bit crushed. Well, yeah, he wouldn't be getting up and walking around. He wouldn't be, be making jokes about him. No. You know, he'd be, be spitting up teeth and shit. Yeah. Um, there's also... You, you couldn't recommend it for action, but even police dramas, like, it doesn't... The story isn't deep enough no. to hold your attention as a cop drama. Yeah. There's no process of investigation, really. No, it's... The, and, their investigation, and the investigation is, is brutal. Yeah, their investigation is beat up each henchman enough that they spill the beans on the next henchman. Yeah. Until you get to the top of the chain. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 a very, it's a very odd film. Yeah, it doesn't really um, fit into its own genres very well because it doesn't work as a police movie. It doesn't really work as an action movie. It doesn't really work as a martial arts movie. And it's not actually an anime. No. Because it's live action. So it becomes this really interesting piece that I find infinitely fascinating and would love to... I, 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 I'm going to revisit this at some point because the style is through the chain. I love it. It's absolutely brilliant for that. But it's not. It's I think something you, that you I, just I, confused two sayings there. Yeah, I did. You started saying <laughs> through the, the roof, <laughs> and then you swapped off the chain. Yes, we're going this through the chain, Jamie. We we are both off the roof. We are both off the chain and through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> or are we off the roof and through the chain? Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a hanging. That sounds like, like that. that sounds like we're reviewing Fifty Shades of Grey. Let's <laughs> move on. But yeah, the filmmakers have to see it. I think really. Because it's it, very interesting editing techniques. In it, yeah, it will give else. it will give you ideas on what you can do with cinema. And I've actually some of it I've not seen be done mm. before or since. Some of it I have seen done, but in a different way. Not not just talking about Matrix Revolution stealing shots. Uh, <laughs> I mean, some more subtle stuff like you know people have done better with comic book stuff since with Sin City, etc. We've seen people do elements of this sort of stuff you know like talking about police brutality but in a in a way that is a little bit more refined than this yeah but this is just a raw piece of cinematic intrigue mm. so for filmmakers I, I think you've got to see it yeah you know anyone anyone else general audience i can't think of who this would be for though because it doesn't fit neatly into any genre camp no. well enough what about yourself and like you say it's not readily available like yeah, you, you've got to put a little bit of work into finding this film. It is in. I know in America it's on Amazon Prime, but it, I don't think it is in the UK. Ah, just get a VPN. You can still get the UK DVD for like one pound fifty on Amazon, but like the quality of the image is awful. Like Ain't nobody got a DVD player no more. Yeah, well they've got Blu-ray player and play DVDs. Anyway, I think we're gonna wrap it up there. Yeah. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us on this little trip to South Korea. Um, I don't know what accent that was. <laughs> I don't know what that was either. It was, uh, like, it was Welsh. It was like Scottish. South Korea. South Korea. Was it? Was it? We'll see if the Scots think that it sounds Scottish. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up there. We'll see you guys next time on Second Take Cinema. <laughs>